0: We've been talking about the miracles of Christ. We're a little over halfway through them. In um, the, the point that we are in the miracles right now, you need to understand that there's a, there's a unique thing happening. What has happened is there is a series of miracles that go boom, 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 boom. Uh, it started kind of with the idea of they were on the sea and the storm came up and Jesus, Jesus calms the storm. Then, so, so it kind of shows the disciples the idea that Jesus has power over nature. And then the boat lands, and there's the, uh, the maniac there, the, the, the Gadarenes, the, the guy who was cutting himself in the cemetery and, and just demon-possessed guy. And Jesus shows he has power over the supernatural by healing him. We've talked about those. Then what happens is the boat goes to the other side, and we're going to get into the story that we get into this morning. And that's going to be the healing of Jairus' daughter. And so as Jesus is getting ready to go, or raising her from the dead, as as Jesus is getting ready to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, the woman with the issue of blood touches the hem of his garment and is healed. We're going to talk about her this morning. Then Jesus leaves that house, and there's two blind guys that he heals. And then after that, there's going to be a deaf guy that he heals. And so it's important to understand that the reason these miracles happen so close together is what Jesus is doing is he is modeling for his disciples what they're about ready to do. Because in just a short time after this, Jesus is going to give the disciples the power to do some of these things. So it's one of these things where they need to see and really understand the power that Jesus has as the Son of God and the power that he's going to impart to them. So that's why these are so close together, and it's just one right after another. Um, This morning, one of the things to understand is that there are in these... The, the two miracles we're going to look at today, and I'm, I'm dealing with two of them because they're so closely tied together, it's hard to separate them out. There, is, there, there are a tremendous amount and number of contrasts, of, of neat, unusual things about it. For instance, we're going to talk about the woman that had the issue of blood. She had it for, does anybody know, how many years? Twelve. Anybody remember how old Jairus's daughter is when he raises her from the dead? Twelve. So it's unique. Jairus is a synagogue leader. What that means is that Jairus um, would have been ceremonial clean. He would have been the guy leading worship. He would have been the spiritual guide and, and, and meeting all the, all the regulations of, the, of worship. Because she was unclean for 12 years, she would probably never been in church for 12 years. Um, she's an outcast from society. She can't really interact with people. Um, she's put out, so to speak, um, from... The society as a whole. Uh, you have the idea that um, there's a young girl, there's an older woman. Uh, you have the idea that there is somebody of means, and there's somebody that has spent everything. So you see a number of contrasts in this. Um, this particular story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in all of those stories, you see different things. For instance, Mark is, one of the things Mark is going to tell us is Mark is and again, you have to understand, when, when, the, when the Holy Spirit inspires the writers, he uses their background, their understanding, the people they're talking to, to bring out certain things. So it's interesting. In the book of Mark, for instance, we read that um, this woman has spent, she has all, the doctors were not able to help her, and she has spent all of her money. It's interesting. Luke doesn't bring up the fact that the doctors were not able to help, him, help her. Because Luke is a doctor. Uh, so Luke's going to leave that point out. Uh, Matthew brings out the fact that Peter was involved and, and, and some of the other don't. So what happens is when we put them all together, we get a good picture of the whole story from all different perspectives. And the reason I say that is some people look at these stories and, and, and they really struggle with, oh, there, there's contradictions in the Bible. and da, 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 da. It's really not. It's just a different perspective of the same event. And they fit together nicely if you do your homework. So um, with that in mind, let's look at the story and uh, try to understand it. So the first passage in in, uh, Mark chapter 5, it says, uh, this is right after um, he had uh, cast out the demons for the guy. So, when Jesus had crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. This is not uncommon now. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he's he, people are starting to hear and anywhere he goes people are like right there um it, was, it reminds me kind of when we were in papua new guinea uh w- what you learn is these people have no the papatar people they have no concept of the human bubble um you know and and you all have a bubble you know and and, and there are certain people you let into your bubble freely and there are certain most people you want like the, the my bubble's like right here and I, I don't want you to get closer than that, um, unless you're a, unless I allow you in my bubble. Uh, and, you know, we all have that. Okay, the Papatar people have none of that. And I mean, when you're working, when we were working there, literally, there's like one here, one here, um, and uh, at that point, you don't even notice their smell because you smell as bad as they do. So, uh, you know, smell goes away. You don't even you lose that whole concept. Of it. But it's like every time you turn around, it's like okay. Uh, you know, okay, I need that, uh, because they are just all right there. Uh, but anyway, it says there's a lot, and that's kind of like Jesus. I mean, everywhere Jesus goes, everybody get like as close as they can to it. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter's dying. Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, Jairus is, this is a synagogue ruler. At that time, what that means was that Jesus or that Jairus would have been in charge of like worship. Uh, he, we would think of him today as like the pastor or the lay pastor maybe, and maybe there were a couple of synagogue rulers, but he was the guy who kind of made sure temple worship and, or uh, worship in that area happened every week. That's important because a guy like that is highly respected in a community. And a guy like that is looked to. So when he comes to Jesus, that's a big deal. And notice what he does when he comes to Jesus. What does it say he does? He falls falls before him. He shows shows a humble attitude. and, And the whole idea of bowing is the idea of, I'm recognizing that you are greater than I. That you are more important than I. So for a synagogue ruler to do that, that made a statement. And notice what it says. It says, he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Come, put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So he believes that Jesus has the power to heal her. I don't know if he's heard the stories. I don't know if, he's, if he knew about the nobleman's son or if he knew about sin. But he knows that, that he has the power. And so he comes to him and says, "I, I really, 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 please, please, you, you have to come. You have to. To call and And I mean, he, he really begs big time. And, and Jesus says, Jesus goes. So next next thing that happens, here's what it says. So Jesus went with him. Um, and then going on, and notice what, what what happened. A large crowd followed and pressed him. And there was a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Uh, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Luke doesn't say that. Uh, and she had spent all that she had... Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Okay, there's a reason it's called practicing medicine, right? Because a lot of times, and you know how, if you've been in the system and you know how it works, it's like more tests and more tests to know, you know, here's the way I look at it. Every time I do a test and it comes back negative, that means it's something that I don't have. And we just keep eliminating it until we figure out what's going on, all right? And, and, and that's what she'd done. She kept going to doctors. She kept spending everything that she had. She'd save up a little bit. She'd get enough money. She'd spend it. And then, and then they'd say, hey, I think I know a doctor. And so she'd go to that doctor. And so she'd been through the whole gamut of the medical system of the time. And notice what it says. But when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, in in the culture at this time, there is a superstition that goes something like this. If a person was a person of power, they had influence, uh, particularly if they were a holy person. And um, in the case of Jesus, (coughs) he was looked at as as a healer. So in a person of power like that, they believed that if you could touch, that the power not only was evident with the person, but their clothes. And if you could touch their clothes, part of the power would come out. Some people believed if you touched the tassels on the robe. Uh, some, some of the superstitions at the time even went so far as to say, if you could walk in their shadow, um, the power could be transferred to you, the, the healing and, and, and everything else. Apparently, in her understanding of faith, she just felt like if I can reach out and touch his clothes, I'll be healed. That's all I need to do. And so it would have taken, first of all, you have to, th- again, put, put walk through the story in your head. If this is a person who regularly lost a tremendous amount of blood, she's probably fairly weak. This is a climate in which it is incredibly hot. It would have taken a lot of energy and a lot of effort for her to work her way through a crowd to get close enough to Jesus. There's a lot of effort here for her to get to Jesus. Make no mistake about it. Have you ever been around where there's somebody famous? You know, some of you ever gone to a concert and you tried to get close to the stage? You know, hoping that maybe you'll run into that person or that singer or that group or whatever else. You can imagine the crowd that that attracted to Jesus and how close they were. And this woman actually not only makes the effort, but she's so determined that she works her way through the crowd and gets close enough to touch his coat. And then she's she's like, okay, good, got it, I'm healed, boom, done. Notice what it says next. Uh, It goes on. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd, and he asked, who touched my clothes? I love the disciples. <laughs> you see the people crowding against the disciples, and yet you ask, who touched me? They look at him, basically, there's a nice twist in it. Are you nuts? Can you not see there's a hundred people here? They're all touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? What do you mean? Are you kidding me? Really? That's the question? That's the question you got. No, no, no. Jesus was going to use this moment. And notice what it says. But Jesus keeps looking around to see who had done it. So Jesus is doing that married look kind of thing. Looking around, trying to figure out who. Who it was. And he makes eyeball contact with this gal. And she knows that he knows. And notice what happened. Then the woman... Knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. She comes to him, and she falls down at his feet, and she goes, "Look, it was me. I'm sorry, but I, I just genuinely believed if I could touch you, that I would be healed. I worked my way through the crowd. I, I don't mean to interrupt you. I don't mean to bother you. I'm sorry, but I had to do it because I've been sick for so long, and you were my only hope. And I reached out and I touched your thing. It touched your robe, and, and I was healed, and I was made whole again, and, and, and it's the greatest thing in the world that ever happened to me, and I'm sorry to bother you. Notice what Jesus says next. This is very important. What's the next words out of the mouth of Jesus? Daughter. See what he says? He says to her, Daughter. Now, this is a woman who for 12 years had been an outcast. This is a woman who for 12 years everybody pushed aside. For 12 years, everybody had made, put distance between her and them. And now Jesus has stopped the crowd, focused on her, and as she's laying there, I would imagine grabs her to lift her up and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. It's interesting The word healed is the same word and it's tied to the word that we use for salvation. This is not just about physical healing. This is about spiritual healing. This is about not just her physical well-being being being made whole. This is about her soul being made right. You say, well, how do you know that? I know that because what's Jesus' first words to her? Daughter. Not woman. Woman. Daughter, you're part of my family. You've reached out to me in faith. You've, won, you, you've trusted me. You knew that I could help you. Yeah, you believed that it was about fabric, but it wasn't. It was about faith. And you've reached out to me, and with that heart, you have become one of my children. Daughter, get up. Your faith has made you whole. And then notice what he says next to her. Go in Peace. This is a woman who, for twelve years, didn't know anything about peace. This is a woman who, for twelve years, lived in just constant turmoil. Peace has the sh- it's the Hebrew idea of shalom. It's the idea of well-being. It's not like absence of conflict. That's not what peace is about when it talks about in the Bible. In the Bible, peace means it's all together. God, Have a great day. Have, God's in control. Your life will be okay. Don't sweat anything. It's the idea of go in, a, in the Jewish world. You go, Shalom. Shalom. Go in peace. Have a great, incredible day. I, I wish the greatest blessings upon you. Jesus, says, go in peace. And be freed from your suffering. Daughter. Your faith has made you whole, and it's all going to be okay. Go and live a great life. And if you're this woman, you realize that in that moment, when you reached out to Jesus, Jesus reaches back and changes everything. And then, now think about it now. This whole story is in the context of what? A child is dying. Now think about it for a minute, you're Jairus. And you're move this crowd's moving to your house so you can get to your daughter, and Jesus is taking time with this woman. Notice what happens next. While Jesus was speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and said your daughter's dead. These guys really lack tack, all right? I mean, you know, that's not kind of the way you say it. they walk up and look, hey, hey Jairus, she's dead. And notice what they go on to say, why bother the teacher anymore? And I don't know if this was like a jab at Jesus because he, he didn't get there fast enough or what. But, you know, the concept in their minds is this idea of, look, you know what? Look, it, it's hopeless from this point on. The girl's gone. No, no hope. Don't waste his time. Just go do whatever you were going to do. This one's, this one's a done deal. And now think about it for a minute. You're Gyrus, and notice what happens. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He looks at Jairus and he says, look, don't be afraid, believe, trust me. Matthew's account says Jairus takes it to heart. And so Jairus ignores what they said, and Jairus still has hope at this point. The people don't. And at this point, I don't know how this happens, but he does not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So I don't know if Jesus says, hey, look, you guys, leave us alone. Go talk to the woman over there. You know, she's already writing a book and gonna sell it. You know, go talk to her. I I just want Peter, James, and John, and let's go. And so Jesus separates from them, and notice what it says. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, and again, he would have been a he would have been a big player in the community. So this would have affected a lot of people, and the fact that it was a twelve year old impacts a lot more people. And so there would have been a lot of people started to come at this point. I mean, even the the Mishnah, which is kind of the rule book for the time, um, said that even at the funeral of a poor person, again, because they buried somebody within, um, I mean, pretty close to immediately. I mean, within 24 hours, the body was in a a tomb somewhere. Um, The Mishnah taught that even at a poor person, you had to have at the very least um, two flute players and a wailing woman. Um, Now, I don't... you know, I don't know, you know, where you go, you know, hey, here's my business card, I'm a whaling woman. Uh you can hire me. Uh I don't know how that worked. Okay. But but the idea was, yeah, yeah, everybody's going, hey, I got volunteers. No, um But here's the idea. The idea was that when somebody died, you wanted it to be known, and the way you wanted to be known by was people would mourn loudly. And I don't mean this wasn't like, a you know, okay, there's a box of Kleenex. I mean, this is just a, it literally is a wailing, loud, huge, agonizing kind of event. And notice what happened. So when they came to the home of the synagogue, ruled, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all the commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. So Jesus walks on the scene. He goes, look, there's no reason to be doing this. She's just sleeping. And it says they laugh him. They laugh at him. They stop their wailing and everything else, and they look at him, and they start laughing. They go, you, are, you have lost your mind. We know what dead looks like. She's dead. You don't know what you're talking about. You haven't been in that room yet. We've been in that room. It's over. And then notice what happened. After he put them all out, <laughs> he goes, out of here. And again, you got to realize they don't, they don't have doors like we have. Okay. So he has to like push him out the door, out of the opening in the, in the house, and get him outside. He says he takes the child's father and mother and the disciples who are with him. So we've got five people now that go in. They go in where the child was. Remember, Jairus had said, I want you to come, lay hands on my daughter, and, and heal her. Jesus walks in, and it says, he takes her by the hand, and he says unto her, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Jesus walks over and he takes her hand and he says, get up. That's all he does. The Bible talks about Jesus being greater than a prophet. Elijah and Elisha had raised people from the dead. But when you read those stories, they went through a whole bunch of rituals and stuff to do it. Jesus doesn't do any of that. Jesus just simply walks in, takes her hand, and says, let's get up. And then notice what it says. Immediately, the girl stood up, stood up walked around, she was 12 years old, at this, they're completely astonished that Jesus looks at them and says, okay, don't tell anyone. He gives strict orders um, not to let anyone know about this. I mean, people are going to find out, okay? But I think the idea here is Jesus needs to get away before this gets crazy. Because once the word starts to spread, if he thought people were crowding him before, okay, this kind of event's going to just... You know, put that on fast forward and, and people, it's even going to get crazier. And so now all of a sudden, Jesus says, look, just don't tell anybody. And then look at what he says. Don't miss this in the story because this is huge. Notice what Jesus said. And he tells them to give her something to eat. Now, stop for a minute and understand what just happened. Jesus has dealt with the supernatural role. I am raising her from the dead. I'm bringing her back to life. I'm bringing her back to this material, earthly world. Give her something to eat. You go, why is it important? Here, here's what you learn about God. And this is what we were talking about when we were talking about testimony. Don't minimize the, the, the things that God's interested in your life. He looks at this girl who's now come back, who's been who's who's now standing there and running around and goes, Hey, look, she's hungry. Is there anything too small that God's not concerned about for us? And somebody goes, Yeah, you know, it's like I pray about this and it seems like it's silly. Not in the mind of God. If it's important to you, it's important to him. And he looks at this girl, this little 12-year-old girl, and he goes, you know what? She needs something to eat. Don't forget to feed her. I mean, you know, and you got to realize, I mean, you know, here she is. You know, she's, she's, she's walking around, and everybody's like, hi, my daughter. Oh. And Jesus is going, man, you know what? They need to feed the girl. You guys are forgetting that. Because somebody go get her something to eat. Why? Because Jesus is concerned about that as well. Um, all right, three lessons, one from Jesus, one from the woman and one from Jairus. Uh, Jesus. Here, here's, I think, a lesson in Jesus that I don't want you to miss. This woman interrupts what Jesus was going to do. Jesus is heading to go take care of Jairus' daughter, and this woman interrupts it. But to Jesus, it's not an interruption. It's an opportunity for ministry. You see... This woman touches Jesus' garment, she's healed, and Jesus could have kept on going. I mean, he knew what happened, she knew what happened, he just could have kept on going and headed on to Jairus' house. But he stops, and he addresses it, because he realizes this is an opportunity to teach this woman something. She thinks it's about the fabric. She thinks it's about touching my garment. And the reason that she was healed was because she touched my garment. That's not why she was healed. She was healed because of her faith, and I want her to know that. I want her to know that it wasn't about my fabric. It was about her faith. It wasn't about the fact that she touched my garment. It was about the fact that she made such an effort to get to me. It was about the idea that she trusted me to think that all she had to do was do that, and it was so much bigger than just the clothes I'm wearing. And I think that's a lesson for those of you who are Christians today. The interruptions that come into your life are not interruptions. They're opportunities for ministry. That person stopping by your desk who hasn't talked to you in a month going, hey, how are you doing? That's not about how you are doing. That's an opportunity for ministry. When you've got your little thing going on at home and you're trying to do whatever paperwork you've got to do for work or whatever else, and your little kid comes up and goes, hey, mommy, daddy, grandma, grandpa, yeah. That's not an interruption. That's an opportunity for ministry. When you are got your little checklist and you're zipping down the, the mart and you've got your stuff that you've got to do and all of a sudden you run into somebody, that's an opportunity for ministry. When you're standing behind the one person who can't pay for their groceries because they're struggling... And their bank thing's not going through. That's not an interruption to, come on, hurry up so I can get through the line. That's an opportunity for ministry. I would argue that in the life of Jesus, there are no interruptions that he doesn't use as opportunities for ministry. And yet you never find him rushed. And yet he is often interrupted in his plans. I mean, he's sleeping on a boat. Storm comes up, they wake him up. He's walking along to go take care of Jairus' daughter, and this woman does this, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've got to teach a teachable moment here. Let's stop, let's park, let's do this. And my challenge to you is that sometimes we get so absorbed with our to-do lists and our I've got to get through this thing that we miss opportunities for ministry. And in the life of Jesus, one of the things that you learn is he always saw those interruptions as opportunities for ministry. Don't miss that. I think in the life of the woman, I think one of, the, one of the great lessons that you see from her is this idea that, that it, was, it was her faith that caused her to reach out to Jesus. She believed that if she could touch his clothes, she, he, she would be healed. It wasn't about her, his clothes. It was about the fact that she believed he was her answer. That's what it was about. She didn't understand that she her faith wasn't this like well equipped you know okay i just need to put my trust in him and it'll be a, she didn't understand any of that but jesus took her from where she was with this very rudimentary belief system about superstition about if i could touch him but 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 his, her faith was in the right person and her faith was in in jesus and and she made the effort to be able to reach out to jesus and jesus then Reaches her where she is and brings her along and then says, now, let me tell you what this was really all about. It wasn't about my garment. There have been people touching my clothes all day long. Nothing happened to them. This was about your faith. This is about what you believe about me. This is about the fact that you were putting your trust in me and me alone. That's what this was about. And Jesus takes her from where she is in her rough understanding of faith. To where she gets a better understanding of what it was really all about, I think that's a lesson for us. You know, some of you've been a Christian a long time, and you see a younger Christian and it's like you want them to like fast forward all the way up to here and be this kind of Christian and do it. look, meet them where they are. Understand it, try to understand where they're coming from, and start there. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't. I didn't look at my kids when they were. well I Maybe mean, yeah, I did, but I, I didn't look at my kids when they were like three and say, you know, here I want you to do the things that that an adult does. I did when it came to tools. You know, um, my, that was one of the biggest arguments my mom and I ever had, um, was when she wanted to buy. She wanted to buy plastic tools for my boys. At three, and I said, no, mom, no, you will not. You will not again, it's just a goofy thing with me. You will not teach my children that tools are toys. If you want to buy them a screwdriver, they have them at Home Depot, Menards, Slows. Get the real thing. She's like, They're three. And I'm like, uh, real tools, Mom. You know? Um, I just I knew the temper of my kids. That was my thing, you know. Um, but i don 't even know how I got there uh but anyway it 's the idea, oh, I know how it was. you reach people where they are, you know I mean reach, reach them where they are, take them from where they are, so you know that person that you know I tell people you know people get in, you know they 're like oh you 're a pastor and I'm like, yeah, you know, I understand how most people see pastor thing, you know, so I tell them I say yeah, I, I do the church thing, I say, but the church thing to me. It's not about church thing. It's about life thing. You know, because I believe that who I am on Sunday shouldn't be different than who I am on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, throughout the week. Um, Now, Candace and I, I think we're talking about this before church, you know. Um, And, um, you know, I have a friend in Chicago. He he calls himself um, the chief shepherd of the stinky sheep. And he bills himself as the chief stinkiest. Um, you know. And, but I mean, there's an element in which he's right. There's an element in which we're all growing. We're all at different points. We all have stuff we're working on. We all have ugly stuff in our life that stinks that we're trying to do better with. We're all at different places in our growth. And that's okay. And Jesus meets this woman where she is with her understanding of it at the time. And that's okay. And it takes all of us working together to to, to bring them along. Just like Jesus stops and he goes, okay, this is an interruption, but you know what? This is an opportunity for ministry. I want to help her to understand what what she just did and what it's really all about. And then I think from Jairus, I love the idea that when they come to Jairus and they tell him that it's hopeless, that Jesus simply looks at him and says, believe. And he says, okay. I love the idea that even in a hopeless situation, Jairus focuses on Jesus and assumes that it'll be okay. Because Jesus said, believe, I'll take care of it. There's something to be said for that. Because there's some of you in here that you're up against hopeless situations. And I don't know if they'll get fixed the way you want them fixed or not. But here's what I do know. I do know that God takes those hopeless situations, God takes those difficult things, and God, if you will believe and you will trust Him and you will walk with Him, as difficult and ugly and hopeless as it might be, you give God the opportunity and He'll make good stuff come out of it. He will take some of those horrible things and He will make great, incredible things come out of it. But you really have to genuinely trust Him I'm not saying it was going to be easy. I'm not saying it's going to be uh, some, some magical formula that will all just turn out roses. But I will say this, if you will trust God, and if you'll believe like Jairus believed, you will see God do incredible things, abundantly above anything you could think or you could ask for. And Jairus here, he's fortunate. He gets to see his daughter come back to life. But you know what? I genuinely believe that even if Jairus didn't see that, he still would have believed and served and worshipped God. Because any man who when his daughter dies can turn around and look at Jesus, and Jesus look at him and say, only believe. Don't let it rattle your faith and your trust in me. And it says he takes that to heart and that's what he believes. His decision was already made, that he was trusting God no matter what just so happened the outcome was something that was incredible. And, and I want to challenge you with that because some of you are up against those kind of situations and you don't see any good coming out of it. And I would say to you, believe, trust God, allow Him to work, don't get bitter, and even in those situations God can bring some great things from it. So I end with this today. I end with the idea and my challenge and my prayer and and, and hope for you this week is this. We're challenged to see interruptions as opportunities for ministry. We're reminded that Jesus can bring hope in hopeless situations. He can succeed where others have failed. But it requires a faith and a belief that results in a real, personal, genuine relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, there are... Some in here that this week, Lord, there are going to be some interruptions that come into their life. And Lord, it's going to be an easy time for them to focus on the interruption and and, and the problem, but instead, Lord, would you help them to see the opportunity? And would you use them? That they might be able to have a a ministry in the middle of something that's interrupting something that they had planned for the day. Lord, for others, um, their faith at this point is is, is just beginning to grow it's it, it, it's it, it's not matured it, it, there's a lot of questions and, and yet lord you're working in their lives and i just pray you continue to bring them along i pray you continue to work and encourage them and and help them to understand and and grow lord in their lives for those that have been christians for a long time would you help us to be patient and kind and loving and understanding and and work alongside and lord for some who are up against those hopeless kind of scenarios, that, Lord, you would give them encouragement this morning. That, Lord, they'd stay faithful, that they'd keep plugging away, that, God, you would use them. That, Lord, you they would stay close to you. And that, Lord, when it's all said and done down the line, that they'd be able to look back and see that even though it was a bad deal, even though it was a bad situation, they can see you glorified. And then brought closer to you and others encouraged through it. And uh, Lord, we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise, these things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, Let's stand.